There is no other name. There is no other name. There is no other name like that name. When you don't know what to pray, you pray that name. When you don't know which direction to look, when you seem to have no human source of supply, Jesus, just, just speak that name, his name, amen. Well, it's, a, it's just good to see all of you here this morning. When I walked in earlier today, I was just so thankful for this air conditioning in this room. Yesterday afternoon, about 5.30 or 6, I was out standing in the broad daylight performing a wedding out toward Castroville, and I want you to know it was about 258 degrees out there. It was the hottest wedding in Texas, I can tell you that for sure. But the opportunity to, at weddings and funerals, those are two amazing times when the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can be clearly presented lots of times to folks who may not be in church on a regular basis. And it was a, it was a blessing. A game warden, married a game warden. You know, I had him right where I wanted him to be, you know, instead of, instead of writing me a ticket. I was, I was glad to. Glad to have that opportunity, and just wanted, uh, and that really, I'm serious, coming in here and being able to be grateful for a cool place, a comfortable place to be able to open the Word of God together and sit together and worship, such a blessing, and that is directly because of your faithfulness over the months and years, many of you of your life, to, to give as the Lord directs you to give financially to the ministry of Alamo City, and there are so many of you out there streaming in our streaming family this morning who, who helped make it possible for us to um, broadcast literally around the world, and that wouldn't be happening if it were not for your obedience to the prompting of the Spirit to give as He directs you to give. So thank you and bless you, especially in this August 2019 here in San Antonio, to have some cool environment to enjoy. I want to throw a title out at you this morning. Surprised by the Holy Spirit. Surprised by the Holy Spirit. And I want to give you the names of four Bible characters who were profoundly surprised by the Holy Spirit. And really, it's the only reason we even know their names in the Bible is because the Lord surprised them. How many of you would say, you know, looking back over my life, the ups and downs and ins and outs, the daylights and midnights, there have been some times when the Lord surprised me. Would you just lift your hand up so I'll know I'm not talking to myself entirely this morning? There were some things that the Lord did. There were some things that the Lord allowed that just really surprised me. We have been saying for these last several weeks, there are two prayers that can change everything. Two prayers that can change everything. The first one is, Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, deliver me. Jesus, Set me free. Those are all, they all fit into that title, Jesus, save me. Now, when, when we think first of Jesus saving us, that's in our initial encounter with him where we know that we need his forgiveness. We know that we need to be saved from the guilt and the shame and the penalty of our sins. And he died on the cross to make that possible. So when our faith is put in what Jesus did for us on the cross, and our prayer is, Jesus, save me, then that means that we're receiving from him at that moment in time the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. 
and the, the, it's establishing at that point in time that Satan no longer has the right to rule. He has no longer has the authority over me because I'm forgiven. I'm free in the sight of the Lord. Jesus saved me. But we've also talked about how that isn't the last time, thank goodness, that Jesus rescues us, that Jesus steps in to deliver us, right? It's not the last time that we, that we, we have to cry out, Lord, save me. Jesus, save me. I, I've tried to encourage us to make that just a matter of regular prayer, whether it's in business or whether it's in marriage or whether it's in raising kids or whether it's with health or relationships with whoever, things going on. We find ourselves in tight spots. David would say he's abundantly available for help in tight places. That's the Lord. Lord, rescue. Rescue me. Lord, save me. That's his name. The name Jesus means Savior. means the one who has the ability to reach down in the middle of whatever it is that is overcoming us, that is drowning us, and reach down and not just shout words of encouragement and, 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 and faith, but it, the, the word means he reaches down with his own hands and lays hold of us and draws us up out of that mess and brings us into himself. Jesus, save me. Blanche, we prayed that for you last week. She, she had a spell right there on the third row and just shook us all pretty good. And, and, but you're here, you're back, you're great, and amen. That Lord answered a lot of prayer. She's a precious prayer warrior and lover of Jesus and just so glad that, that she's still among us and, and the Lord didn't choose to take her own home to be with her dear husband. That's coming one of these days, but, but not now, not right now, and we're glad. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. The second one is this, and, and I love watching your faces. I want to throw this out. Because it's, it's, a, it's one of those, it, it's a phrase and it's a prayer and it's a thought that sometimes, sometimes stirs us up as, as Christians. We feel also, I have been saved, I have been forgiven. But what does it mean when this second prayer kicks in? When I'm told and encouraged to pray this way, Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. And we've tried to point out that, that, that the whole book of Acts, the whole book in the Bible, and picking up from major sections in the Gospels, have to do with that promise that the heart of the Father is not just to save us from our sins, to deliver us from Satan's authority, but he desires for his presence, the literal, actual, but invisible presence of the exalted Christ would move into our spirits, move into our minds, move into our wills and our emotions so that we would know that we're, we're not alone, we're not an orphan, that Jesus Christ literally is Emmanuel, God with me, but he is the Lord inside of me. And that it is the power of the resurrected Christ. It's the power of Jesus whom Satan couldn't hold and all the guilt of the world couldn't keep him in the grave. He was raised because he accomplished the mission of the Father for our forgiveness. Raised from the dead, re-exalted with all of his authority, all of his power, all of the name recognition that he had in heaven before the armies of heaven, before all creation. And he, from that place on the day of Pentecost, poured out his spirit into the church, not the spirit of the ostracized Jesus, not the spirit of the ridiculed Jesus, not the spirit of a baby Jesus or, or the human Jesus, but the spirit of the exalted Christ Jesus poured out from heaven into the hearts of the church on that day of Pentecost, given to us as a type, given to us as a promise, as an expression of what he wants to do for every generation of the church, what he wants to do for every born-again believer, not just that we're forgiven, not just that we're saved, but that we are filled with the presence of the literal, actual Jesus Christ. If you then being evil, Luke eleven thirteen. if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, Jesus said, how much more 
will the Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking him? We talked about how that promise in Acts 1.8 was spoken not to folks who didn't know Jesus, not to ones who didn't understand the cross, didn't understand what it meant to be forgiven through the blood of Jesus. They, they were there listening to the resurrected Jesus talk. And for 40 days, he had been teaching on the subject of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. He had to have covered what Isaiah 53 meant, that the, that, that the Messiah would come and he would be punished for our iniquities. He would be crushed for our sins and that the guilt of all of us would be put upon him. Jesus explaining to them what that scripture meant and that when Jesus came back from the grave, he said to that group, the group who believed in him, evidently who understood what the cross was about, it was to that group that he said, but you, this is important, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and from that point on, you'll be enabled to, you'll be enabled to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. He was saying, there's one thing that you who have been forgiven lack. There's one more thing beyond what you who have put your trust and faith in me that you need. That, that's the context. That's the group he was speaking to, is that you need power. Power to be my witnesses. Well, what's the significance of that? The significance of that is that that which was paralyzing them and crippling them and keeping their mouths shut in Jerusalem was fear. It was the fear of what might happen to them because they had seen what had happened to Jesus. They had seen the power of the religious establishment coupled with the Roman governmental police and, and authorities. They, they took Jesus into custody, brutalized him, crucified him on a cross, that that very same thing could happen to them if they let it be known that they were followers of Jesus. Jesus knew that. He gathered them together for 40 days following the resurrection. He taught on that subject of the kingdom, and he concluded the whole thing by saying, here's the one thing you need that you don't have right now. You need the power that my spirit, alive, operative, poured out within you, the power my spirit will give you. And that power will result in you being able to rise above your fears, to rise above your intimidation, to rise above the hesitation and open your mouth and with your life and with your words be a witness to me right here in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. So when we are encouraged to pray like Jesus was encouraging them to pray, and for 10 days they met and they prayed. At the end of that 10th day, the Spirit was poured out, the, the, the tongues of fire, the rushing mighty wind, and, and you remember that story. And they were all filled with the Spirit. And what did they do? They began to open their mouths and testify of the great things that Jesus had done and who he was and the glory that he brought to his Father and so forth. That was the beginning of the church. And folks, listen, we can sit in this air-conditioned room, we can sit on these cushioned pews, and we can have our Bibles all marked up, and we can have lots of things that we're intending to do and we may be involved in doing, but none of those things are to be the substitute for what it means for you and for me on our own, individually, personally, to know what it is to be clothed with power from on high, to be baptized with his spirit and with fire. And the result of that is a changed you and a changed me. And often it will have to do with the defeat of the fears that shut us down, defeat of the intimidations that people, the fear of man and other things can put on us. And we are, we are free to follow Jesus. We're free to, to go where he sends us and within all of that context, there is this amazing and wonderful but sometimes very uncomfortable truth that the Holy Spirit has ways of surprising us with what he does with us, where he sends us, who he connects us with. It's about the transitions that he can bring into our lives. We don't like change. Does anybody in this room just absolutely love for everything to be totally different every day? 
You like to eat different food. You like to drink different sodas. You like to, you like to go different places every single day. You like everything to be different. Now, if you raise your hand, uh, we'll probably need to deal with lying and deception and other things because we're just, we're just creatures of habit. That, that's, that's how we're wired. We, we like for things to be predictable. And it's not that the Spirit using us and working with us is going to always be creating a, a, a tumult in our lives where, where it's, it's chaotic all the time. But I want to give you the names of four men who if the Lord hadn't surprised them and done something that they weren't expecting, allowed even evil forces to maneuver the circumstances of their lives, they, they, would, they would never have made the Bible, probably. We, we, we would never have known their names. The last one we'll mention, we find only in one chapter in the Bible, just one chapter, Acts chapter 8, and that's Philip. We'll come to him. But the other three are these. Joseph. Joseph. Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50. If, 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 you, if, if you're listening to this this morning and you, you feel like that there may be, there may be some winds, some clouds of change, swirling around you or, or, or building up to the, in the West. Things could be changing. You, you're, you're not sure, maybe, but there is a sense that something could be up. In none of the lives of these four men is, there ex, is there the example that these men were running from God. It wasn't Jonah. Remember when Jonah refused to go to Nineveh, got on a boat, storm, threw him over, whale swallowed him, whale spit him up three days later, and he got, okay, I got it now, Lord, I got it. I'm going to Nineveh, and I'll do what you sent me to do. That's not the story of either of these four men. They were doing their best to follow the Lord, to live for him, to, to, to not be a rebel. They were in pursuit of him. And then out of the blue, things changed. Joseph, 17 years old. He's the youngest of a whole wad of brothers. The brothers, you'll remember, were jealous because the father seemed to cater to Joseph more than the rest of them, favored him, decorated him in, a, in an easily, readily identifiable garment so that they would know when he was coming. They, 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 the jealousy fanned the flames of hatred so much so that they, they wanted to get rid of Joseph. And so they, they came up with the plan to have him sold to a traveling band of merchants coming through where they were, and he would end up in Egypt, and he would be sold in the slave market in Egypt as a slave. He, he didn't come up with that plan. He wasn't responsible in the, in the biggest sense of the word for what was done to him. He might have kept his mouth shut a little more than he did. He might not have told all his dreams, but this happened to him. But the amazing thing is, he's, he's sold as a slave. Then he, there's a plot orchestrated against him to where he's sent to prison. So he's a slave. He's a prisoner. But ultimately, he rises to the, the pinnacle of, of any sort of, 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 of private individual participation in government, especially a foreigner, and he ends up being second only to Pharaoh in his leadership of the entire cotton-picking nation. And he started out as a slave nobody knew. He had no representation, no protection, nothing. But I want you to notice what Genesis chapter 39 verse 2 says about Joseph. Quote, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. Now that's spoken about him while he's a slave in Potiphar's house. He's a slave, but the Lord was with him. That's the mark. Folks, listen, it doesn't matter where you get sent. 
It doesn't matter what the circumstances are that orchestrate the transition that may be underway in your life. When it is true that the Lord is with you, you are in the most favored position. Wherever you are, he will cause you to be, because of his presence with you, successful in the assignment that he's given you to do. It, it, successful it, it, to, for that to be metered out. He, he wasn't successful financially as far as Pharaoh was concerned or the governmental leadership was concerned at that point in time. But in God's mind, he was successful. He was successful because of the integrity that he conducted his life with, but because of the mercy and the compassion that he, that he showed others, even as a prisoner. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. If the winds of change are somehow stirring around you and you sense that something may be up, it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. It just may mean this, that the setting for your greatest accomplishments may not necessarily be where you are, but where he is taking you. The setting for your greatness may not necessarily be where you are right now, but where he is taking you. That was true of Joseph. That was true of David, the youngest of eight brothers. Wasn't even invited to the family supper when Billy Graham showed up. Wasn't even included on the guest list or the family list. Didn't have a seat at the table. They had to wait until he was brought in. Samuel the prophet said, are there no other brothers? And the daddy had to admit, well, there's one more. Where is he? He's out taking care of the sheep. But we're not going to go any further until he gets in. As soon as the boy walked in, Samuel recognized him and the Lord recognized him in the spirit. And the Lord said to him, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. The Lord doesn't look on the outside as man looks. The Lord looks at the heart. So there was David. And shortly after that, and as he anointed him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. You remember that? Goliath appeared and began to taunt the armies of Israel. David heard about that and ends up on the, at the front of the battle and volunteers to go fight Goliath, ends up knocking Goliath out, cuts his head off. Great victory for the armies of Israel. The only problem was all the credit seemed to be going back to this young upstart shepherd boy named David, and Saul the king grew immediately jealous and turned on David, and as the months passed, Saul began to hunt David, and specifically for the purpose of putting him to death, to eliminate the competition. And there was David, having been told that he's the anointed king, he's the next king of Israel. But everything on the planet as it related to him looked exactly the opposite. It looked like I had had nothing but bad pizza. I looked like I just made that up, what that man Samuel told me, because there's nothing going on in my life that would look like anything that, it, that he said was going to be in my life. So for all those years, and there were, it was 30, David was 30 when he became king of Israel, of, of, the, of two of the tribes. Then there was another four or five years before he became king of the whole world. This started, this hunting and this being hated by Saul started way back when he was probably in his late teenage years. It was more than likely more than a decade of this surprised by the Holy Spirit. Lord, what did I do wrong? What, what, what is this? I, nothing seems right about this. I, I, don't, I don't understand. Only to realized that it was during that time, folks, that some of the greatest psalms in your Bible written by David have to do with how he refused to doubt the plan of God for his life. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Well, you, you, you don't you don't write things about not being shaken unless there's the threat of being shaken. David 
surprised by the Holy Spirit and for that season difficult and having to trust the Lord for water and for food and for protection. But finally, at the end of that time, the Lord did everything and more that he promised to David from Samuel that he would do. Though there was a season of transition, surprised by the Holy Spirit. Some of you, when I threw that title out, the surprises of the Holy Spirit, surprised by the Holy Spirit, you might have thought that's just about all the happy stuff. That's just all the unexpected grins and laughter and good things. He can do those things, can he not? He can. He can surprise us with joy. He can surprise us with unexpected blessings and breakthroughs. But there's another side to his surprising. And when it is necessary for him to surprise us in order to move us to a place we wouldn't go on our own, to be with people we wouldn't choose on our own for the accomplishing of of a mission or for the doing of things that we would not have the power on our own to do. He has to surprise us. If he didn't surprise us, We might have interrupted with a veto or with another option. But when the circumstances of our lives are so moved by outside forces, direct, we're just just caught up in a movement, going somewhere. We we can't change it. We can't can't add to it. We, We can't adjust it. Then it must be, it must be that somehow, some way, the Lord with his surprises, the Lord is accomplishing what he chooses, what he desires to accomplish with our lives, even though it doesn't feel good to us, even though it doesn't make sense to us, and even though it seems as if it is unfamiliar territory. The whole point, as Paul would say, here's what I've learned in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul would say, I've learned that when I'm weak, then he is strong. I've learned when I can't figure it out, when I don't know that I've got any more strength in my life, when I don't know that I've got any more willpower to stick with, when I am weak, when I am weak, here's what I've come to be convinced of. When I am weak, he is strong in me. What a valuable, important, indispensable truth that is for us. So there, 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 we have, there we have Joseph, and then we have David, who eventually did become the king, but it wasn't overnight, and there were many surprises, disappointing surprises along the way, but it ended up right where God had told him it would end up. The third one is Daniel. Daniel. Israel had become so decadent morally had gone so far away from God, from the behavior of the aristocracy or the royal family, down through the governmental leadership, down through the prophets and the priests, all the way down to to most of the folks just on the streets, so to say. That there there was a recognition of who Jehovah is, but he had come to be just one of many gods. They, they, they didn't completely throw him out. They just created a pantheon of gods where there would be all kinds of other options to worship. When the Lord had said, but I'm the one who betrothed you. I am the one who brought you out of Egypt. I am the one who made the promise to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. I am the one who has done these things for you. Why would you commit adultery against me spiritually by giving yourself to all of these other gods? It went on for so long and to such a degree that literally, Jeremiah reports, God changed sides in the conflict. Instead of supporting Israel, his people, he began to war, to fight on the side of the enemies of his people, Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon. And they were allowed They were allowed, with the protection of the Lord being lifted, they were allowed to to breach the walls of Jerusalem, to ravage the city, to plunder its riches. And in the process of that, Daniel, Shadrach, 
Meshach, and away we go. We're caught up in the captivity and were taken to Babylon. There was somehow in the middle of all of that moral decadence in Israel, there was a righteous root. There was a godly remnant who who hadn't given up on the Lord, who hadn't rejected his word, who were still looking to him and who saw him as the only one and true and living God. Daniel and his friends were a part of that. But they were caught up in this, this, this massive overthrow of everything normal to them. There's no record that their families were taken also to Babylon. The idea, the report was, it was just those young men and ones like them who were carried off. They would be, they would be retrained, retooled. They would be brought up as Babylonian um, royalty, in a sense, to, to serve under the king. But they, they didn't know the language. They couldn't read the street signs. They didn't, they didn't have a clue what the culture religiously or politically, historically would have been. They, they, couldn't, they could not speak the language. They couldn't read the written language. Picked up and taken completely away from home. Surprised by the Holy Spirit. The Lord could have stopped that. But the Lord knew that the place of Daniel's greatness was to be revealed, was to be manifested in a place that Daniel would never pick for himself, among a people that he would never choose as his people and accomplish things that he could never accomplish on his own, but only the power of God working through him would cause it to be. It wasn't going to happen in Jerusalem. The greatness of Daniel, the the, the amazing giftings of his ability to understand and interpret dreams and and the wisdom that would flow through him, the wisdom that would flow through Joseph, the wisdom that would flow through David. It wasn't going to happen at home. It wasn't going to happen in the familiar surroundings. It wasn't going to happen where they could get the attaboys from the people who had watched them grow up, etc., It was going to be in a completely foreign, strange place in a human sense. But what they would each one come to find out is that they had not been left as orphans. That the one who allowed these things to happen, somehow whether it was in Babylon or whether it be the cave of Adullam for David or whether it would be in, in Egypt for Joseph, Some way, somehow, in that foreign place, the Lord had the ability to make it feel like and be like it was their new home because he was there. The trappings, the street address, the the, the geographic location didn't mean as much anymore because in this strange new place, they sensed the presence of the Lord. Lord, do you hear that cry going up? Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me with your spirit. If transition seems to be at the door, if the winds of change seems to be around, for the child of God, there's no reason to panic. There's no reason to feel like the earth is moving beneath our feet. And what are we going to do? It's just simply a call for us to cry out and to keep crying out and to keep crying out until there is the sense that he has done it. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, fill me with your... What if it is true that there are dimensions of personal greatness, of the things exceptional about you that the Lord knows are there? It's in place for you to step into. It's a part of your destiny. But what if he knows that in order for you to be in that place where those things will happen... He's going to have to order and arrange some circumstances such that you are, in a sense, carried by the force of whatever it is that's going around you that is making those decisions. It doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. It doesn't mean that you're in sin because change is coming. It just means that greatness is on the way. 
But the Lord, the Lord wants you to be more than average, wants us to be more than normal. His heart is that those things which he, have or he has ordained and set in place, those good works, Ephesians 2.10, that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, they may not all be in Jerusalem. They may not all be at your home address. They may be in a place that he just has to push you into. That, that, you know, sometimes we get to think, well, if I'm really filled with the Spirit, I'm going to just like everything the Lord's doing and love everything, and I'm going to just, it's just going to be one great smile and day after another. I don't imagine, I don't imagine that Joseph smiled very much. I don't imagine that David laughed a lot in those transition years. I don't imagine that Daniel, as he looked off in the distance and saw what he was leaving, might never again see his mother and father. The city of the great king in rubble, the temple destroyed. I don't imagine that there was a whole lot of laughter or happiness in his heart. But all those three men had was the sense that they were trusting the Lord, that as best they knew, they had confessed Whatever it was that, that had been brought to their attention that was wrong, we don't have any of that mentioned in these lives in the early, in the early days of their lives. That They were just being caught up and carried along. But bedrock to them was, Lord, I trust you. I don't understand this. I don't know where this is going. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know where I'll end up. But, Lord, the best I can, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. It is a rare and wonderful thing when the Lord sees fit to do something so drastic, so dramatic, that it can seem as if everything that we've normally leaned on, everything that we've gone to as a support is somehow tested or maybe even a distance created so that we are left just me and him, just you and him. He doesn't delight in our torture. He he delights in the joy of his people. But again, folks, listen. His his heart, his heart is for you to become and to be all that he has planned for you and for me to be. And that's going to be some stretching and there will be some changing and there will be some adjustment. But the end result is we're going to know as we settle into that place where where again it's a broad place that he's brought us into There's going to be the sense of knowing that this is what the Lord had in mind all along. That he has been faithful to me. And he has been faithful to us. Now here, let me me point you to Acts chapter 8 as we look at this last man. Acts chapter 8. He's mentioned earlier when the deacons, the seven deacons that were selected in the book of Acts are numbered and and are identified by the congregation, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, whom the apostles would put in charge of taking care of the needy in the congregation. Another one of the seven was a young man by the name of Stephen. Stephen was remarkable in a number of ways. He, he, he was one of those described as being filled with the Spirit. He was evidently very articulate. His mind was clear and sharp. And there came a point in time where he engaged in a debate, a public sort of debate with one particular segment within classical Judaism at that time, defending who Jesus was and and, and all that Jesus came to represent. And there arose a great dissension among this group. It was basically Stephen against this group. And when they couldn't compete, as the scriptures say, with, with his wisdom and with the power from which he spoke, they turned to violence. They resulted, it resulted in them stoning him killing him, putting him to death. And we come to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, 
Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Saul had been the young man, you'll find at the end of chapter 7, where the ones who were stoning Stephen took their outer garments off and laid it at the feet of Saul so he could, he could keep up with their possessions and their clothes while they finished killing Stephen. It goes on to say, and on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen, made loud lamentation over him, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip, there's the man, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Let me point the context out here because it fits, it fits powerfully under the heading, surprised by the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the scripture records that on the day of Pentecost, as a result of the preaching of Peter and the other 120, 3,000 souls received Christ as Savior and Lord and became a part of the brand new church. The 3,000 plus the 120 in the upper room, 3,120, day of Pentecost, one day, exponential explosion of the body. You skip over to Acts chapter 4, verse 4, and Luke makes another numeric note. After Peter preached, when the man who was lame was raised to walk again, silver and gold have I none, such as I have given unto thee. The man went walking, leaping, and praising God. The scripture says, a large crowd gathered. Peter preached. The result was many believed, many believed on that day, and the number came to be, according to Luke, about 5,000 men. Now, that's not counting the women, the children, others who would not be considered worthy of account in that culture. We're not sure whether it was a total of 5,000, including the 3,000 on Pentecost, or whether this was just this was a brand new addition. So it goes from 3,000 to 8,000 in a matter of just a few days. In chapter 6, verse 7, Luke records, and the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Now, folks, when they, when they move away from putting numbers in there, and they're just using things like greatly increased or multiplied in number, it means that there were so many people responding, so many people coming to Christ that they couldn't even throw a number at it. And then for, for Luke to add that there were a great many of the priests that were embracing faith in Jesus as the Messiah. You talk about, you talk about a revival. You talk about a spiritual awakening in the very city uh, watched over by the same faces of the ones who had orchestrated the torture and death of Jesus Christ. If, if there could be any proof of the power of Christ filling people such that the fears, that the things that would, that would foment their fears, the players don't go away, but in the face of their fears, there is a brand new kind of resolve and confidence and joy and courage that they never had before. And as the watching world noticed that, they began to say, we need some of that. Well, where did you get that? It's Jesus it's the living Jesus who was crucified in this city, but who is alive, is alive from the dead. And he's come to live in our hearts. And if you'll open your heart up to him, he'll come into your heart too. It was exploding all over the city. You would think that the Lord would just keep that going, keep that revival going. Let's just, let's just keep it going. The only problem is... From heaven's perspective, and Jesus had already prophesied it in, in, in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Spirit has come upon you, 
and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria, of all places, and the uttermost part of the earth. The Lord knew that unless he allowed something to stir up the church in its current form at that time, it would remain a Jerusalem entity. The church would never bust out into non-Jewish parts of the world. And Jesus had told Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not just the Jewish people, but he so loved the world that whoever believes in him would not perish in everlasting life. It, it took persecution. It, 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 took, it took a scattering to get Acts chapter 1, verse 8, at least the Samaria part of it, initiated. And the Lord knew that. That on Philip's own, he wouldn't be making an afternoon trip to Samaria of all places. There was a prejudice. There was a bitter bias from Jews to Samaritans and from Samaritans back towards Jews. They hated each other. The Jews thought of Samaritans as, as, as half-breeds, only partially worthy of living in that land of promise. They, they, were, they were considered in their food chain pictology, they, they were considered even lower than a dog, a Samaritan. But here it says, Philip goes to Samaria. Had to end up in Samaria. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Here's something happening, Lord. I don't know exactly what to do. We're going to have to leave Jerusalem. Where do you want me to go? And evidently, the Spirit filling him said something like this to Peter or to Philip. I want you in Samaria. To which he could have said, I, would you say that one more time, Lord? Just, just to make sure that I hadn't missed it because of all the background. But he goes. He goes to a people he wouldn't ordinarily choose. He goes to a place that he wouldn't pick by himself. And as we read, we find that he was doing some things in the power of God that he was never able to do in Jerusalem at home. But it was happening here. Look, look at the verse starting in verse 6. And the multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was much rejoicing in that city. Now, folks, if the Lord has picked you out, to be the agent through which his love and his power would flow to a locale, to a group of people. And he desires through you to do some things that you know you don't have the ability to do. But it's his plan for you. You and I need to stay open to the fact that the Lord by his spirit may just surprise us with the assignment and with the what that he would call us to do. There are, there are some listening that I just, I just sense it. I don't know whether you're in this room or whether you're scattered wherever you'd be around this world. But where there is a transition that seems to be working, and, and you're putting it before the Lord. Lord, if this is what you want, it's what I want. If it's the enemy, shut it down, Lord. But if it is you, I want to trust you. And Lord, I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit so that I'll know the nearness of my God, as David would say. The nearness of my God is my good. It doesn't matter where we end up or where we live or what our street address is as long as there is the sense that the Lord is there. 
and the Lord by his spirit making his presence real, and then he guides us. You, you go into a new place. I, I heard that Josh and his family, they're in Washington, D.C., watching the service this morning. I prayed over them last week as we released them to, for that assignment. He said he was sent word back he's watching the service this morning from, from Washington. And, and, but but as, as they are there, as they're in Washington, you're where you are. The Lord may have surprised you by doing it that way at this time and in that place. But if you're there, the Lord is with you there. And it's not the place to whine and whimper and complain and moan about it. It's the place to be saying, Lord, you must want me here because you cause all things to work together for good in the lives of the ones who love you and are called according to your purpose. I ask you to fill me with your spirit. And I ask you to take me to the people in this place that you have already planned for me to know and for me to speak into. And folks, listen, in some cases, you may not think you have faith to, to move mountains or, or, or to, to you know, raise somebody up off of, a, off of a sick bed. But it's amazing what in a place that the Lord assigns you, you may have rising up in your heart to pray. Somebody you don't even know Somebody you, you, you have no relationship with, like Philip in this setting. He didn't know these people. They didn't know him. But as he began to speak the good news of Christ to hungry hearts, the hungry hearts responded, and the needy hearts, the ones who were sick, infirmed in various ways, they responded. He prayed. We don't know what he did. How, how he did he lay hands on them, anoint them with oil? Did he just speak? What did he do? We don't know. But the result was there's just a whole bunch of folks who had been sick and couldn't get up. Now they're walking and they're up and they're doing. And there was great rejoicing in that city. The Lord used Philip as an agent of great rejoicing. In another city, he would have to report it back to the attaboys back at home because they weren't there. They didn't see it. They didn't know about it. We don't have any indication that anybody else went with him but by himself. <laughs> The Lord stood with him, gave him what to say, and he did what the Lord gave him to say. And revival broke out in that city. Great rejoicing broke out in that city. And we know of, and, and after that, the only other time he's mentioned is in the last part of Acts chapter 8 where, where the Lord tells him you need to leave here and you need to go meet this chariot. Head, heading out in the middle of nowhere, get it headed back toward Egypt. And he, he runs or he's translated or whatever happens, but he ends up and sees this chariot coming. And he sees the guy in the chariot reading, and the guy's reading from the book of Isaiah. The, the, the guy in the chariot happens to be a court official for Candace, one of the nations in Egypt. He, he's invited up into the chariot. And the man says, can you explain to me, this is a Jewish man, a convert to Judaism in Africa, but had been back up to worship in Jerusalem. And, and he says, can you explain to me what this is out of Isaiah 53? And Philip just opened his heart, told the story about Jesus. And then ended up saying, if you followed Jesus, if you trusted Jesus, and he's instructed us to be baptized in water. To which this guy, Adam, he didn't know him from Adam's house cat. Neither one of them knew each other. But the spirit of the living God knew and intersected their paths. And power broke out when, he, when Philip was where he was supposed to be, intersecting with this high-ranking official in Candace's court. And then he says, well, there's water. Philip gets, gets out of the, they get out of the chair, go down and dip this fella in the, in the water. And they split. And that's it. And we don't hear any more about Philip. And we don't hear any more about this official from Candace's court. Remember this. Somewhere it may come back in your heart. The setting for your greatest accomplishments in the Lord may not be where you are but where he is taking you. You know, we joke sometimes about when we had our time in Montana in the summer and Shirley and I will escape and so forth. We go up there and the ones who, who know us both well, in particular her, 
say we fully expect to see that there'll be news coverage at some point by this rope coming out of the back of a pickup truck tied around the waist of a woman from Texas. And she's being drugged down the hill, <laughs> out of the mountains, heel first. That being Shirley. If she wouldn't, you get up there in that cool, and you get up there where nobody, you don't have to answer many questions, and you, you know, you just can rest for a while, and it's a good thing. But in her heart, in both of our hearts, we know that's the place you visit. This is home. This is where our heart is. And we don't want, Lord, to, in any place of your directing, be found with our heels dug in, being drugged by a chariot, you know. But we're human, and he knows that. And we're not in trouble for having points of hesitation and even fear. You, you, you think back about Joseph, and you think back about David, and you think back about Daniel, and cataclysmic changes that came about in their lives that were forced upon them. It took a while for them, I'm sure, to be able to be fully confident that this is the Lord and this is His doing. And, and Lord, I'm just holding on to you the best I can, but I'm, and I'm trusting you to, to orchestrate the circumstances in the way that pleases you but I want to be where you want me to be, Lord. I don't want to be anywhere where you're not. David would say, it is the nearness of my God that is my good. I want to pray this morning for those of you who may be in a season of transition or you sense that you may be approaching a season of transition that the Lord will just literally by his wonderful spirit smother your fears, smother your anxiety with his peace. Be anxious for nothing, Paul said. But in everything, in everything, in all the places where we can be anxious, in everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Talk through the minutia of the anxious places with him. Let, let him hear you speak back to him the places where there is concern and angst and even fear. And then an amazing thing says, Paul speaks, you do that. You make a request known to the Lord. Your askings is how it literally reads known of the Lord. Then it says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He promises to swap our emotion for his emotion. Our emotion is anxiety. His emotion is peace. But it's a kind of peace that if you start trying to correlate it or tie it to earthly points of containment, earthly points of reason and connection, you'll never get it. It's the peace of God which passes, which is beyond all human understanding. It comes from him. It's not tied to or flowing from anything in this life. Now, that's a choice. That's a tough place. That's a, how do I get there? Lord, help me. Lord, fill me with your spirit that I can rest in that place. I unload everything as they come all the time. The places of anxiety, I unload them. Keep doing it. Only it doesn't do a bit of good to talk laterally to somebody else because they, they can't give you the peace that only he can give. We share for prayer, but we're never supposed to substitute the fellowship of brothers and sisters, even close friends in the Lord, make that a substitute for going directly to the Lord. They can't give us what we need. They can hear, they can be sympathetic, but they don't have power. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to the Lord. Let your requests, what you could wish, what you could want from Him. And then he says, and it is the peace of God, God's peace, which passes all understanding, that will move in to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Folks say, well, well, how long do I pray? You pray until you sense his peace. Don't be picking up the phone, calling somebody, or, you know, online and at some point. You seek him until he conveys that peace. Amen. I, I really know, listen, this is, if, if you all walked with me through all the day, there, there'll be things that, that I'm going to have to replay this message to myself. I'm going to say, no, what the, here's what the preacher said on Sunday. The preacher said, don't be anxious. The preacher preaching back to the preacher. I, I'm no different than you. But here's what I know. Here's what is true. By the filling of his spirit, by his making his presence real in us, there is capacity that we don't naturally have. And he can fill us with his peace to the degree that it overcomes the levels of our anxiety and all the glory goes back to him. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. You've been so gracious this morning to listen. Wonderful, 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 wonderful group to be a part of and with. Lord, thank you for the time this morning. Thank you for humbling yourself to be in our midst. We, we don't deserve your companionship, Lord. It's humility in your heart that would allow you to be felt by us in this place, to be encouraged by us. Lord, please fill us. I ask you in Jesus' name, fill us with your spirit. Help us to better understand what that means and what that, what that carries us into more than we've ever known. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.